Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 277. Boy, 300 is not that far away, no. right? And we're all glad to have you with us and joining us in our studio today at MotorWeek Central, Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, Jessica Ray, and we're going to jump right into things with Jessica. We're going to be reviewing two vehicles today and doing a little recreational driving feature with Greg. We'll hold that till later. But first, Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. Jessica, what is it? Why is it? And why should we care? <laughs> well, it is uh, the plug-in hybrid version of the Grand Cherokee, specifically the two-row. The two-row, two right. Yeah, uh, because they, they said nothing about the, the, the L, L getting anything like this. So this is just specifically for the two-row, which just honestly recently launched just a couple well, months yeah, ago. Well, yeah, they're both brand new, and they launched the L first with the three-row, and then the uh, two came afterwards, which is kind of odd. But. Yeah, and so... Exterior-wise, the 4xE pretty much looks exactly similar to a normal Grand Cherokee two-row, specifically because uh, it's built on the new platform that was uh, they had planned for a PHEV. you know, when in the from design the from the yep. from the beginning, um, so the only thing that you would be able to tell is that it has surf blue accents, which uh, we saw on the Wrangler Four by E. So, uh, you know, if you ha- the the badges all have like a, a little like blue mm-hmm. accent on them, um, which is kind of I think is is kind of cool, and you know, also doesn't scream like this has a plug. Yeah, um, I like the trend actually, where the EVs are starting to look more like. Uh, well, I won't say normal cars, but they don't scream at you that they're something different. True, true. So what's it like to drive since it's a much bigger vehicle than the Wrangler? Did you notice any difference? So, um, you know, the the powertrain setup is the the uh, two-liter turbo I-4, which is the same as the Wrangler 4xE. Um, and I thought, you know, it's got 375 horsepower, and it felt very at home. In it, it did not feel like it was very heavy, which sometimes with uh, PHEVs of that size, like the battery and it just and the extra motors, like for some, like sometimes it just feels like it's literally like dragging you down. Hmm. Um, but I, I it, it felt really good, very peppy. It has a 25 mile electric range, which is really important, obviously, because that's really all that anybody cares about. <laughs> Glad to see these <laughs> these ranges edging up. I don't want to talk about it in a minute. It do, which doesn't seem like that much, but I will say they the way that they had planned our route, I got like 24 miles out of that. But that was me kind of like playing with, uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't optimizing my driving. I was sort of trying to feel like the driving dynamics on just the all electric mode. It was very quiet. Um, and it just it I mean, it was a very comfortable ride. Like, certainly in around town driving, I could see no issue with it. We didn't get to hop on the highway, which was kind of unfortunate. Um, and then even... Did you use any of the uh, all-electric mode off-road at all? I, like, very briefly, because, like, <laughs> the thing is, like, when you go off-road and you're in the electric mode and you press too hard on the gas yeah, or, the thro- or the throttle, it'll, yeah, you'll go into what's called hybrid mode, which is... Uh, basically the default mode after mm-hmm. you drain your battery, um, which I, 
it says hybrid mode, but you know, I was getting like 20 miles a gallon on the highway. So it's not a true hybrid other than just that it pairs with the electric motors to, uh, to like propel the car. And it does help with efficiency a little bit. Um, but it was weird because just in general, the, the vehicle is much quieter. So you're like just driving on dirt and it's just, just so quiet. Just you and the rocks under it's, the wheels. It's very, it's a little eerie, you know, yeah. you got the windows down and you're like just driving on the dirt and like I turned on the electric mode and it was just silent. It was it was very interesting. I mean, I thought it was cool. Silent or silent for a Jeep? Because I'm not sure if there is such a thing as a silent Jeep. There are always some sort of noises coming in there. <laughs> well, this was like brand new, so hopefully, yeah. It, was, it wasn't too rattly. <laughs> Can I ask a question that I think a lot of our listeners might wonder, and that is, okay, I get the idea of a plug-in hybrid being able to give you, you know, some distance, maybe 25 miles would certainly be enough to get me to work and back, Mm -hmm. probably using just the electric drive. I don't quite get why Jeep and others think that, you know, a plug-in hybrid works for off-road. Is it just for that quiet experience? I mean, it does add some extra torque. I mean, I think it's more just like proving that they can do it other than like just being like, here is uh, a a plug-in hybrid version and yeah, it can do everything a Jeep can still do. I I don't know that it's, it's, uh, there's a better answer than yeah. that because it i know for uh that the um the wrangler 4 by e is because of the packaging uh, is easily the most complex wrangler that's ever been built with almost sure. every nook and can- cranny used for electronics or batteries or something and i'm thinking down the line you know is that going to be a nightmare i mean i guess it's obvious that it's, we're going that way but i still find that an unusual application anybody else well, i'd be curious how it reacts in a real off-road situation. Like if you're going to do like, like deep real mud or something like that. Yeah. No, but I'm talking about like throttle response. Like if you're going to go in full EV mode and torque is the whole big thing with, with that. I mean, and I, and I haven't done this, so this is an actual question. I mean, like is is the control you would have in a, in a typical ICE like the same with the with the all, all, all electric being able to feather it more yeah exactly because like, comes like, on cause so it, quick because it could come on so quickly and if you're in a precarious situation and you're like doing real off-roading i mean that could be an issue um so i mm-hmm. i would certainly like to test that out one where you do one run in you know a hybrid mode with a gas running or a gas engine running hopefully or and then one I mean, EV mode. We had the Wrangler 4 by E here, and all I remember is just how responsive it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Or if you're, sure. like, in the middle of a section, and then it goes from EV and kicks into hybrid mode, like, there could be some kind of weird issue yeah. there. These are all hypotheticals, yeah. though. I'm not sure how many people are really going to be Actually, the one question it. I've got is, if you've seen the latest Jeep ads for the 4 by E's, out in the middle of nowhere, you've got a charging station sitting yeah. there on the top of a butte. Oh, yeah. I'm saying, uh, well, well, the thing <laughs> how is, how did they get it there? They, well, I don't know if they put them in the middle of buttes, but they do have them. At the, they made a point of putting oh, but them the trailhead for right? parks. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell, tell, so, expand on that. A little oh, bit. I don't know all the details, but I do know that they made a point of uh, and they're installing to tread lightly more mm-hmm. than ever by installing. Uh, EV uh, charging stations at a lot of the major uh, trailheads. See, the, to me, the, that's putting your money where your mouth is. I think that's great because I mean they've they've come out with a technology, 
and they're actually doing what you need to be able to use it. Yeah, and that's they're taking, you know, all these manufacturers are trying to take excuses mm. away. You know, people would say, well, I couldn't buy that because I can't go, you know, ride on the trail. Well, now we'll put a charger there so you can. So. Yeah. Though the where they had the launch for the Grand Cherokee 4xe was the same place where they had the Wrangler 4xe launch. And so they already had one of their Jeep uh, chargers, chargers there. Yeah. And they're just, they're like, we're just going to leave it here. Like, cool. we brought it here and we're just going to leave it here just because, you know, no point in picking it up and is, taking it away. Is the 4xE a standalone trim or is it like, can you get a 4xE with a Trailhawk or? You can, yes, there is a Trailhawk. I, it's, yeah, it's its own model separate from the, from a, just the Grand Cherokee because you also like can't get uh, lower level trims right. so like the lowest level four by grand cherokee four by e still is like pretty loaded mm-hmm. um which is why it starts like just under sixty thousand dollars like it comes with the passenger screen that new passenger screen like that's standard right on it it also comes standard with um the second uh quadratrack two which is the second tier off-road system um by jeep so like everything is like a little it's a little bit more upscale, so I guess you can kind of justify the price. Before we exit the discussion on it, that passenger side screen, I think we've mentioned it before, but I don't think we've really talked about it. Is that programmable separate from the, the center stack screen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can customize it. Whoever's sitting in the passenger seat can customize it to... I mean, I don't think there's a ton of customization options, right. but you can. But it's independent yeah. of the main screen. Correct. You can yes. play with your thing. And actually, the driver yeah. can't even see it because they have a yeah. film. And I think that's important because you actually can put. I, can you put videos or would, some, something yes, that's Yes, you animated. can because it has an yeah. HDMI pretty, port. That was yeah. the point. I'm yeah. pretty sure you mm-hmm. can watch movies because right. I was in our. We have a Grand Cherokee in right now, actually. And I tested it out. And sure enough, I mean, I turned it on. I couldn't see anything from the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, cool. it's really innovative. Well, speaking, uh, we talked a lot about electrification there, but in the plug-in hybrid vein, well, let's talk about just pure plug-in. Brian Robinson, 2023 Subaru Solterra, uh, which has a lot of kinship with the uh, the Toyota's first uh, modern all-EV, but take it away. That's correct. It is a... Uh cooperative effort with Toyota's BZ4X. So we could either talk about how it's different from that, because we've already talked about that one, or we can talk about it independently. How would you like to approach this? Uh, whatever way uh, All right. floats your boat. All right. So uh, it was a true joint 50-50 effort between Subaru and Toyota as far as uh, the personnel, the engineering, the money, whereas their previous uh, co-op, the BRZ at 86, uh, was almost all Toyota, with the exception of the Subaru powertrain. But anyway... This one was much more of a joint effort, according to uh, Subaru. Anyway, uh, you'd be—you uh, may or may not know that Subaru owners are second only to Jeep owners in off-road use. Oh, uh, so that was a big uh, part of the design, as far as Subaru uh, was concerned. So it's got their X mode all-wheel drive is standard. You can't get a uh, two-wheel drive version. Uh, it also has 8.3 inches of ground clearance, which is more which is than quite a bit. It's more than the Toyota. That's one of the big differences. Uh, they have a different suspension uh, with more ground clearance and uh, better approach and departure angles because of that. 
Uh, the exterior-wise, they're almost exactly the same. Uh, Subaru has a different front on it. Toyota's front is really smooth, and there's no even uh, pretending to be a grill, I don't believe, right? It's all no, smooth. Correct, yeah. No, yeah. Subaru kind of has their trademark uh, outline of their hexagonal grill in the front. Other than that, uh, they're pretty much the same exterior-wise. Inside, uh, they're almost identical. Um, the Subaru has uh, more uh, content standard. Um, the heated seats are standard. They also have wider uh, front seat heating element, according to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what does that uh, say? No comment. Yeah, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. <laughs> oh, man. Um, they also they have a different steering wheel. Um, it has paddles on the back of the wheel for regen braking uh, adjustment. See, I would like um, that. On that. Like, yeah. To me, that's what yeah. the toyota is missing yeah, yeah exactly uh one of the coolest features uh i found was the gauges are uh they're the dash is uh, very long and the gauges instead of being uh looking through the wheel to see them they're mounted up really high that's, you know? that's a little weird it's almost yeah. like being in a, go, a race car or a go-kart yeah so like instead of having like a head-up display yeah. they just put the gauges up there uh, yeah. easily in your line of sight it, it works really well it makes for a weird uh thing behind the steering wheel there's like a runway of plastic there um but uh i I thought it was very nice as far as uh driving it i haven't driven the toyota so i can't really compare them um but it it's very it has a very subaru feel in that they don't give you any more power than what you need that's that's like a subaru thing right so it's not super fast like some evs it gets you know it's adequately fast Yeah. yeah um but it also has a very lightweight feel to it, uh, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, it feels almost like driving a cross track. It weighs like a thousand pounds less than like the ID4. I mean, it's insane. Wow. It's insane the uh, when you compare those a thousand two. pounds those two less are, than the ID4. Almost, yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. So it, that's it, serious. It a, yeah, it has a totally different uh, driving experience. And we did plenty of off roading. We were talking about off roading uh, with the electric vehicle. Um, a lot of uh, stuff where you're stopping on dirt hills with uh, tough traction, uh, really steep inclines. You can come to a complete stop and then just hit the gas and it, and it goes. Really, right. uh, really good system. Uh, all in all, I like I haven't driven in the uh, Toyota, so I can't really compare uh, that. But I thought it's not like spectacular, overwhelming EV, but it's it's ev- it's everything that Subaru owners I think would want in an EV. So I think. I think they really did a good job in that regard. Is it sim- did you think it's simplified that it they they made an effort to maybe take some of the mystery or peculiarities out of the EV to make it more like you're just slipping into another vehicle. Absolutely. You sort of alluded to that. Yeah, absolutely. They wanted yeah. Subaru uh, buyers to hop in there and feel, feel like, oh, yeah, this is just like my Forester. Um, but compared to the Forester, it's longer, lower, and uh, a little bit wider, uh, but not as tall. Certainly as roomy and stuff. But, yeah, especially exactly. backseat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, easy 4X is to the RAV4, almost yeah. exactly. Okay. It's longer, yeah. wider, and shorter. Um Distance-wise, as far as range, what are oh, they yeah, quoting? Yeah. 228 miles. And, uh, yeah, and that's with – they only have the one powertrain, one battery option. They're all 228 miles. Could you do one-pedal driving? They do the not pedals? have one-pedal driving. So you had paddles that would that – would The paddles we will – Will uh, apply adjust, the brake. No, they won't apply the brakes. Oh, okay. You can use them to adjust the amount of regen braking. Okay, so have. they don't – you can't press them and they actually apply the brakes. No, they're so not, it's not brake a, pedals. There's no one-pedal driving – uh, Correct. They have what's called an S mode for Subaru, I believe. I may be uh, misquoting that. Um, but 
and it's very high regen amount mm-hmm. braking, but it's not to the point of one pedal driving. They they thought that that's something that would turn Subaru buyers off. That they that just that awkwardness of getting used to driving the one pedal driving. Uh, so uh, they didn't include that. Quick survey around the table: Are you fans of one pedal driving or not? Uh, it, it has its place. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I, I, I will use it. Sure. It depends for me. If I'm a passenger, I don't particularly like it because I get motion sick in, mm. when I sit in the passenger seat. So the, seat. Act, the really heavy region pushes yeah, you forward. Like when I, was, right. when I drove the uh, uh, Mercedes AMG EQS, we were like in the twisties and I had a drive partner on the first drive and there was fog everywhere. So like you couldn't even see, uh, we got up to the top of the hill and I felt so sick because not only are, you know, we're driving at higher speeds. Plus you've got no reference for the horizon. No reference. Right. For, like I was so sick. So like, but, but then again, like when I drove the C40 recharge in Belgium, like in these like city streets, it was perfect. Like the one pedal drive, like it was phenomenal, but like, if I'm on the highway, I have no interest in one pedal drive, honestly. Greg, any opinion on it? It's yeah, I do like it, but in settings, it's the city setting, stop and go. When you're in stop and go traffic on the highway, uh, but if you're on the highway or just cruising around, just leave it in as little yeah. regen mode as possible, in my opinion. Even the Toyota engineer was like, we actually don't even like regen from an engineering standpoint because it just kills all of our power like it, yeah. you're kind of fighting yourself you when you're fighting just driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so um, yeah i mean it has its uses and it's and those uses are when you're stopping a lot i have to admit i was totally against it when i first heard about it but i have used it in the cities and it's like sometimes it it does make sense but it still feels very unnatural to me I was, just, yeah. the uh the grand cherokee four by e i'll mention that it did have uh a really nice regen braking that I lo- that I really liked. You turn it into hybrid, and obviously it wasn't one pedal drive even in EV mm-hmm. mode, which we don't expect from pretty much most uh, PHEVs. But the regen was like awesome. I remember we were kind of like I was coming up to a bunch of stoplights on like a on a larger highway, and it like really slowed the vehicle down in such like a, a really like natural way uh, for like especially like a, a, a truck that big. So. Yeah, and in the PHEVs too, it's it's really nice. It's all about tuning. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to come back to Greg's. Uh, uh, going to kind of clue us in on one of his latest adventures, which had to do with what we now term as recreational driving, but it's autocrossing. Let's move on though to the lightning round, and this is a pretty interesting one. Um, see what everybody thinks. First, the Tesla Model S Plaid, now the all-new and all-electric Lexus RZ will have an optional yoke steering wheel. Think airplane rather than car. Uh, flat top, flat bottom. Do you think this is a fad? Will it catch on? Yeah, that's a good question. What do you think? Who wants to start? Greg? Uh, I see why people are excited about it because it does look awesome. Yokes look sweet. I mean, they look futuristic. Look like a Cessna rather and, than yeah, a Yeah, I mean, Tesla. Who, who, doesn't, who hasn't dreamed, <laughs> dreamt of, you know, like being in a cockpit and a yeah, fighter sure. jet and pulling on a yoke or something but anyway the functionality of it i don't know if you've ever used one but they are not very functional on the street uh because of, you know sometimes you have to go hand over hand when you turn on the street and yokes aren't built that way but that's th- the tesla one and it's it's what do you mean well the R the lexus rz my understanding is 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 total electric steering and you don't you can't do hand over hand 
it's like a yeah it's a special it's, like it's optimized a, steer by wire yeah you basically uh, can go system. from hard left to hard right without and, going hand without over going hand. hand over hand so they think they don't they think that tesla's is a gimmick where what? what's in the rz <laughs> they think actually is the advent of true fly uh drive by wire steering yeah because yeah where you don't need to go hand over it's hand. like i think they sort of like the 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 one in the tesla was sort of just like plopped on there without that's without that's any. The, well, the they also yeah. combine that too if i'm not mistaken yeah. with the whole predictive shifter where you didn't have like or the, the shifter wasn't in a, a typical spot it would actually predict when you wanted to go forward and, and reverse i don't know if that was mm-hmm. a beta test or whatever i mean mm-hmm. we don't really mm-hmm. test drive teslas here because they're not really given out and, and the rz press. is yeah. just a concept at this point too i mean uh, as far as that was i think it's, that was a prototype, was a prototype but, but i, I the, don't think what i don't they haven't actually said if that's going to be i guess full uh, production maybe it'll be an option i, I don't heard know that the the yoke it will be optional on the, the u.s optional. spec rz which if you don't know what the rz is it is the lexus version First of the bz4x right and um I was reading a couple of descriptions of how it works, and it basically it senses how fast you're turning the wheel, the yoke in the Lexus, so you can't oversteer and, uh, as much. But mm-hmm. I don't know. What could go wrong? Any, uh, <laughs> yeah, Brian. Any the fact comments? that we're spending this much time talking about it means that other people will do it as well because it's something to talk about, and they're not going to miss out on all this uh, publicity. High technology. But uh, yeah, I'll pass. Even the like the Corvette squarish wheel, yeah. even that feels weird. It does. Like you know, don't. Uh, it's one of those things like it's not broken. Don't you don't we don't need to fix it. Do we it's need, called a that, steering wheel for a reason. Is that the one? Yeah, however, behind the yoke, this whole idea of uh, totally you know no mechanical connection for steering, which of course they've been using fly by wire and aircraft for decades yeah. and decades. Um, it's always sort of bothered me a little bit. Uh, they do claim it has a lot of redundancy, but. Do you have any feelings about not having a mechanical connection between the steering wheel and the wheels? Well, Infinity's even been doing it with yeah. their cars, Correct. But using right. the real steering wheel. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's technology. Uh, people are going to keep pushing it. So uh, yeah, we're going to have to. Most people don't realize we have basically fly-by-wire brakes on a lot of cars yeah. already. Any so, but uh, anyway. So I mean, I think as long as it's safe. But I, and and the one thing about the yoke I think that bothers me is it's like, does it improve the driving experience? You mm-hmm. know, like does it make it safer to drive with a yoke? Because that's a good point. Because like, if it doesn't, unless it makes driving better, otherwise yeah. you're just like trying to make it look cool. I mean, I think you know the the videos that I saw of the like the Model S Plaid with the people with the yoke driving on the street. I know like some of them were like dramatized a little bit, like yeah. they were really like pushing the boundaries of like how one would use the yoke. But then like. I don't know. You get yourself into like a situation where, yeah, you're kind of like like an emergency, really like yeah. you don't have time to think. <laughs> I like how they try to also play it off as like, oh, now you have an unobstructed view of the gauge cluster. <laughs> like, really an issue. Yeah. Like, shift, shift, this, to, shift the steering wheel down. This out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it improves driving, but it does get, allow them to have more control with all the safety systems. Mm-hmm. So that's you know that's where everything's going. You know, not only can they now brake. For an object, they can steer around it for you as well. So, But sure. now you're having to basically – suppose you've got multiple cars in your family 
now you've taken away probably one of the last things that was sort of like universal across mm-hmm. your fleet. I just wonder if that's not asking for trouble, at least until it becomes ordinary. So interesting, mm-hmm. very interesting stuff. But there's definitely, uh, because of packaging and everything, probably uh, drive-by-wire steering is going to become commonplace, whether it's a round wheel well, or a yoke. Yeah, I definitely want to give it a shot, though. Yeah. Don't take, yeah. don't confuse anything <laughs> yeah. I said for that. Like, I don't yeah. want to try it because I definitely no, I do. No, I think it would be pretty cool. Okay, speaking, since we're on subjects of EVs, let's uh, take our viewer question from Brad. Why do some new EVs not come with a home charging cable? And we're talking about at least one to plug into your 120 household current, although it may take a week to charge the car. So it's being left out. Tesla was probably the first one to say they weren't going to provide it. Now it's spread. What do you think? Why? Money. 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 I think we just gotten to the point where they're useless. I mean, you trickle charge. Uh, I forget what I was just looking at. It, the trickle charger literally adds one to two miles an hour. Right. So it's like you know, EVs are now up. So in you're the talking about five range. days or more. Yeah. So yeah. it's just they're they're pointless if, at this point. Right. I mean, like you said earlier, off off air, John was like maybe in an emergency situation. Like that, you could I guess plug in to get to, the be, to get enough but money to gotta, go to a charger. But you got to be pretty much within like a mile or two yeah. of a fast charger or something. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that. My my sister lives about ten miles. She doesn't have a charger at her house, and she lives about ten miles from the Walmart, uh, which has uh, a fast charging uh, operational uh, Electrify America uh, set up. And I'm thinking if I drive from here to there, it's three hundred and some miles. I get there late at night. If the thing's really low, at least I could plug it in and know I've got enough over after overnight to get to the Walmart to do a proper charge. I know if I bought one, being kind of the, you know, worst case scenario kind of uh, person, uh, I'd probably buy it just to have it. But mm-hmm. so it seems to me kind of cheap. But I'm sure you're absolutely right, Jessica. It's money and weight, maybe, but want money. Yeah, I mean, well, some of them are like small computers. You remember the Tycon oh, yeah. we had? Yeah, you see that thing? Yeah, it's like you could like program it, and it's like a touch screen. It was basically like the touch screen from in the car out in that charging block. Mm. Yeah, I felt bad leaving it outside. <laughs> <laughs> but even that, when I plugged that in, it said it was going to take like six. Oh yeah, hours yeah, basically, <laughs> basically yeah. useless. But yeah. well, for you know the the money that thing probably costs. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, some of the prices look like they range from two hundred to twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars for the cable. Of course, that's their what they're. Yeah. Asking for it, right. and you can buy them on. Uh, not only can you buy them online for less, but we had an EV6 uh, Kia here with mm-hmm. an unusual adapter. You want to talk about that? Oh yeah, it has. It was basically the cable, but just an adapter. It w- no. no. Well, you could plug it into the car, and you could plug one ten into it, right? Yeah, it yeah. was used for powering other else. stuff. It wasn't yeah. used for charging. Oh, that wasn't yeah. used for charging. That yeah. was used so to you charge could, other so things. So you yeah. could from use the, car. the battery aspect of yeah. it. So like okay. you, you'll see, like so you, it's a one-way system. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, because like yeah. Greg had, we have the the, the old Nero EV, right. not the newest, which one. which has a cable, which has a cable in it, and you'll see it probably in our upcoming uh, road test that that. We charged the Nero with the EV6 using that vehicle to load adapter that goes ah, right into the charge port. My bad, but I know. Let's see. Ford is saying that if you want to use 
the F-150 Lightning as a battery to help power your house in an emergency, you need their interface. I'm not sure if that's true, well, but that's one of the things they're selling. Yeah, you can do it without their their interface. If you buy it, just incorporates it automatically. All, automatically. So it's almost yeah. like having a backup generator. But you can generator. still basically have a panel to plug Correct. into. Correct, yeah. It's just you can run power out of it because it's yeah. got all the uh, outlets in the bed already. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't need to use uh, their that specific charger, uh, but if you have it, it's a seamless thing. Boy, what's this going to do to the uh, portable generator and home generator market? It's like Oh, people still have oh, those. Yeah. That'll be the backup to this backup. Backup to the backup. <laughs> Same people who are scared of electric cars will be scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to plug that into my house. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to run my generator in my garage. <laughs> yeah. fine. So, Greg, tell us about your latest over-the-edge adventure. Yeah, it was an adventure. Anytime I get to go drive like a maniac is always always fun. <laughs> legally, legally. Legally, yeah. So, um, yeah, the impetus behind this one, uh, recreational driving, was, you know, I've done recreational sports um, after high school. I've done flag football, basketball, softball. You know, you grab a couple of friends, you go out. Usually they're social things, especially when I was living in the city. You go out and play, like, kickball, and then yep. you go play flip club later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, we walked everywhere. Um, <laughs> so then I'm thinking, like, what about for people who, you know, aren't into sports, who still want the social aspect, or who are in the cars, for instance? I mean, yeah, you can go to the drag strip. Yeah, you can go to, a, like, a real racetrack and maybe do some racing. The issue there is, is, like, it costs a lot. And, I mean, you have to be – you go on a, a real racetrack, it's – it can be pretty hardcore and high consequence. So the uh, the sweet spot there is autocrossing. And uh, if you haven't heard of autocrossing, um, basically all you need is a parking lot and a bunch of cones, um, usually through a car club or, um, uh, you know, SCCA actually does it too. So you find your local SCCA and they'll usually just find parking lot maybe in a sports arena like a, a baseball minor league baseball stadium is big and you just set up a course you take basically whatever you you bring it could be your daily driver as long as it's deemed safe do an inspection and you go out and it's literally just you on the course you run a time they have they usually have timers set up like mine did this uh a few weeks ago and you're racing against yourself um it can get more intense you can obviously have like real classes where you are technically racing against people where you're just doing times you're not like physically on the course one car on the track right so it's safer there um and like i said it's uh the the cool thing is like you kind of get out of it what you want do you just want to drive a little bit faster than you want to on a on the road safely then great that's like everybody at this club was and i should i should mention it was ferrari club of america which i didn't know you didn't have to have a ferrari to, uh, to <laughs> just have to like, be a oh, fan huh? yeah, yeah i mean don't get me wrong there were people there who were like they were literally offering me to drive their ferraris and i was like dude i'm not in the mindset yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, like i understand it's nothing to you but it's it's something to me so i'm not gonna you know thrash your you know your for your pista through here um but yeah, anyway, um, I, I've kind of run off the rails here. But uh, more specifically, the the event I went to was at Summit Point Raceway. Uh, they have a skid pad, and they basically just set up a course. And now they do it so many times. This was run through the BMW Car Club ran the event, but it was a Ferrari Club event. So mm-hmm. they basically contracted them because because they do it they know lot. all the courses, right. they know like how to do it and everything. They're like all that. European Union. They get along. Yeah, with exactly. <laughs> For now, safety is always priority. That's why we started with a, a driver meeting. You make sure everybody's on the same page. Like, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. 
Uh, here's the track. You do a nice little track walk so you can kind of understand. It is a little bit confusing if you've never done autocross. You look out there and there's just a sea of cones. And if you've never done it, you're like, how do I know which way to go? And then you walk it one time and you understand what cones that are on its side means. You know to go that way. It becomes very, very easy. And even if you don't get it after the first few times, so literally, what? it was all day long. I could have just hopped back in line and kept going and going and going. You're, you're as long not, as I had you're brakes killing and gas. a cone. That's about it. Exactly. And it's and it's low speed. I mean, as fast as you, I think I might maybe hit like fifty, which I mean isn't that was that, probably rare. And that's that, that's like in a high corners. speed section. Yeah. So yeah, most of the time you're between just like. I'd say between 30 and 50 on this course, and it was more a faster course probably than some other ones. And, yeah, low consequence. You're not spending a ton on brakes and performance parts. I mean, I saw all kinds of cars. There were, you know, E36 M3s, some second-gen um, MR2 spy, or MR2s. And then you got up to, like I said, the 488 Pista. Uh, I had a Jetta GLI. Um, good good choice. And, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun because, like <clears> – <throat> High horsepower cars don't really make the difference there. It's like how good are you as a driver? How how uh, good are you at the technique of driving? Um, so it was fun, kind of like putting myself up against people who were certainly better than me. Um, but it was cool when I could keep up with somebody who's in a car that costs you know a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars more than the one I have. Yeah, but you've been much faster than all that's. All yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, your, it's an your badge of thing. honor is you've you've been able to let it uh you've seen i've been very fortunate to high have gotten a lot of a few times. track time so yeah. it was it was fun but i think uh, more importantly to end on was just back to the whole social thing of it was like you there were people who were just constantly driving getting in uh, making a run getting back in line but then there's like they have like a nice lunch set up you're just sitting there talking about cars it was kind of like a cars and coffee mm-hmm. but you also get to drive the car so it was just a really cool like social event I think they said it was like $150 for the day, which, I mean, I guess isn't cheap, cheap, but I could spend $150 a lot worse than that. But it got your adrenaline pumping. It it actually improved your proficiency, uh, you know, and at the same time, you basically had just a great time. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, like I said, it's um, everybody kind of likes to drive aggressively from time to time. And if you just got to get that bug out, that's just, <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to do it because honestly you will, you'll have so many opportunities to run that honestly, like I got tired at the end. I'm like, I don't, I don't need any more of this. I'm done. I always like that about press events, basically when everybody would get there and it'd be at a racetrack or something and everyone would get a couple of laps before lunch and then they'd all go away to lunch. And if you really want to just keep driving and, Bring up your proficiency. You can hop back in the cars. Yeah, man. Cool. Yeah, Sounds like fun. Should be a great segment. Mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap everything up, do we have uh, any rants or raves this time around? Anything that's basically uh, you want to applaud or you want to boo as far as the automotive world? <clears throat> Lots of quietness around the well, table. Uh, oh, Greg, I, I, Greg, you know, is, Greg is raising his hand. I just He's did a something. lot of talking, so I'm going to try to keep it. <laughs> Uh, to a, a minimum. Come on, Greg. And I even hesitate bringing this up because I know people are going to give me crap. It, dogs. It's just be careful. The dogs. No, I don't hate dogs. I have a dog. I love dogs. It's the dogs on people's laps while they're driving. Which maybe I've just I saw one and maybe I got like tuned in tunnel you vision. Mean you to don't like it all to the see time. them with their paws on top I of just, the steering wheel. I, I, like I just don't get how it's any less distracting than cell phones. You you talk to any single person, any driver, they'll be like, yeah, cell phones are distracting. 
yet you see people with just dogs literally sitting on their laps, either like across their body looking at the window or like at the steering wheel. And there's no way that's safe. I just, and I don't care about the size of the dog. It just like, why, why, why is the dog there? Uh, it's that, not safe for the dog. It's not right. safe for you. It's not safe for It's me. really not safe for the dog. And, uh, yeah, that's all it, I imagine there's got to be some, like, you, you could be pulled over yeah, for think so. having a dog on your lap while you're driving. Well, they could just, you know, a policeman could just say it's uh, unsafe driving yeah. or, you know, whatever. Distracted. Definitely but, distracted. Yeah, distracted yeah, driving. I mean, I don't know. We, it I, just I, seems I, like. I hate to rant put, on put, people's put driving. Put the animal in a safe spot, you know. Yes. That's an important we retain thing. Retain them uh, properly so that they won't get hurt if there's an accident. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. much can you really care about your dog if you're putting him in the front seat with you? Ooh. Like, do you like, have any idea small. what happens? Like, yeah. that thing's going to go flying. Right. Like, any, you, you press the crushed. brake too hard. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that's... Yeah, the I, thought of an I airbag going off with you, a dog oh. between you and the airbag is not something I <laughs> care to contemplate. Oh, that... That was so a, yeah, that's an image, isn't it? <laughs> that's a like I said, I'm sorry I brought it up. No, now I, I got grinned, but it's just we are not anti-dog. We are pro-dog. No, we're we want dogs to be safe. We want them in to cars. be safe and not in your lap between you they, and the steering wheel. They make they make seatbelts for dogs. Absolutely. You know? So thanks, Greg. <laughs> You're Jessica welcome. Ray, our digital producer, our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, you just heard from, who's now sheepishly heading for the exit. <laughs> and our two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson, have joined us for this terrific podcast today. Wrapping things up, I want to say special thanks once again to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood. On the last podcast, we mentioned that Jim is soon retiring, but he's still with us. Hooray for one more uh, clarity today. Uh, Jessica Ray, thank you for producing today's podcast, and kudos to our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. To everyone out there, thanks for listening. If you want to hear, see, and enjoy more of Motor Week, hop on over to our website at motorweek.org. You can look up in the right-hand corner about the show, pull down a tab, find out the station in your air airing us. You can also see us on our partner, MAV-TV. Check their local listings or MAVTV.com. Uh, we're on just about anything that has a screen, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash motorweek, with hundreds of road tests and features. We're on PBS Living. Basically, if you've got any kind of video device, there is no excuse for not joining us on Motorweek. Till next time, I'm John Davis, and indeed, thank you for being a part of Motorweek. You've been listening to the podcast of Motorweek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.